Okay, so we're a little late tonight for the thousands of admiring hordes online. Um, tonight was another one of those electrical disasters when nothing went right. And so everything got totally messed up. And one of the things that I was going to show you, uh, as it turns out, is incompatible with PowerPoint, apparently. I don't have a Hebrew PowerPoint, so I was trying to copy something. So I, and I couldn't even get it. Uh, it's a long story. But anyway, I printed some off. So um, I'll show you those. I don't know about the people back home. So there you go. The mark, yeah? Maybe, we don't know. So, uh, okay, sure. It, it probably won't make any sense, but I don't know if there's enough to give to everybody. I was kind of thinking of well, one per couple. The printer without paper, so I have no idea how many you printed. Oh, not that many. So, oh, wow, look at that. Nice, okay. <laughs> Okay, we'll get to that later down the road. So you probably know about uh, the new Ministry of Truth, you know, Biden's New Deal, because of course you can't have anybody just telling the truth. Um, and the wacko lady that's in charge of it is a professional liar. She's been, uh, it's unbelievable the things she believes and puts out and writes in her books and stuff. So she's naturally the perfect candidate to run a complete disinformation campaign. Uh, this is straight out of George Orwell's book, 1984, which I looked it up and it was published in 1949. So it's pretty amazing that he knew, you know, that he knew as much as. Um, so anyway, there's no reason to believe there will be a free and fair election in a few months. Um, they will only consider it to be free and fair if the Democrats clean up big. Okay, so let's get started. Tonight will probably be a two-nighter, maybe unless we go late, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> in the book of the Revelation of the Apocalypse, chapter 10, verse 7 through 10, it says this, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of Elohim should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spoken to me again, and this is, of course, John, and said, go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, take it and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth as sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it up. And in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. But as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. So <clears throat> you probably all read that. You know, it's kind of weird. Who eats a book? But uh, <clears throat> interestingly, that word is biblion, which, you know, just means booklet in uh, Greek. And so the context of this means the book is either the description of the prophecy that's contained in the book of the Revelation, or it could be the whole word of God. And it's... Uh, it's kind of interesting. You eat it and it's sweet and then it gets to the, you know, the belly and it's bitter. And you think about when you were saved, if you remember that, I remember it because it wasn't that long ago. And it was so sweet and exciting. And, you know, I mean, it was, you couldn't wait to tell everybody. You didn't know anything, but you just felt this was, you know, this God thing was awesome and it was beautiful and uh, it was fabulous. And, you know, it was sweet. It was sweet in your mouth. And then the more you get to know and the more truth that you gather up, you find that uh, the more you know, the fewer people who want to hear it. You know, it, it becomes, in, a, in some sense, if you ingested the entire book and you knew the truth of it all, it would be very bitter in the sense that you're, you can no longer be part of the world. You know, you're, you're 
families split up, people are killed, jobs are lost. You know, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a tough road sometimes, if you know the truth of, of what's in the entire book. And so you kind of think about, you know, and you, you can think about your own walk, how much simpler it was when you were young in the Lord, right? Because everything was glorious. It was all rainbows and unicorns. And then, you know, stuff happens. So the next verse, 10, 11, and he said unto me, thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And isn't that your, your job? Now, I don't know if, you know, this was specific to John and it was specific at the end of days. And I don't know how much we can apply it to us, but I, I think, I think we can, you know, and, and the whole sweet and bitter thing, I think applies because it's, you know, and, and there are still those people that are living in the glorious happiness of not knowing hardly anything and just God loves me. And there are pastors like that, you know, all they know is God loves me and it's glorious. They don't want to know anything else. They don't want to talk about anything else because anything else will get them in trouble. So there's, you know, that I think applies to all of us. And, and if that does, this might too. So as we grow and we begin to know exactly what the deal is, or certainly more exactly what the deal is and what the, uh, you know, what you, who would have for us and the things that we start to understand we should do, things change and it's no longer all rainbows and unicorns anymore, but it's, it's certainly a lot more secure and stable knowing the truth than it was just being young and foolhardy, I guess you could say. But he says, you must prophesy again before many people and many nations and many tongues and many kings. And I think that could easily apply to us because as you come to know this stuff, there is a certain responsibility to share it because they're not going to get it. And, you know, if, 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 if you're going to a church where the pastor is all about, you know, God loves you and that's all you need to know, you're never going to know the truth. You're never going to get past that. And that might seem fine and fun and nice and easy, but that's not what he's asked you to do. So, um, you know, I think about, um, I've been having a discussion with, with a lady that was at the Passover about, because I said something about 43,000 different denominations or religions. And so she was calling me about that. And so I looked it up and that is, you know, I mean, I, I don't know, nobody counts, nobody knows, but that's the general number that you see on the uh, worldwide lying interweb is 43,000 different denominations. And of those 34,000, or some type of Christian or twisted Christian idea. And, you know, and, and the question I posed the other day and have posed for years is how is it even possible? You know, the book, the book is the book. It says one thing. If you read it in the original language, it's, that's what it says. You know, how do you get, how do you get 34 or 340, let alone 34,000 different ways to look at that book? And, and this is how. You know, they want to keep the sweet part and they want to keep it all fun and they don't want to have to do any of the work, but they want, you know, I certainly haven't looked in depth into all 34,000 or even really 34 of these groups, but I'm guessing that every single one of these groups, the ultimate goal is to, to get somewhere, to get salvation, to go to heaven, to nirvana or, you know, eternity or to be with God or whatever, you know, the happy place is the good place. I doubt if any of those are preaching your destination is, you know, is hellfire and destruction, and it's going to be a terrible eternity and all that. I'm sure they're trying, even Satanists believe that they're right. And, you know, and, and Yeshua is the antichrist and they're still, you know, their end is glorious and wonderful. And we should all, you know, embrace that. So nobody's telling you that you're going to burn for all eternity and it would be a horrible, terrible place. You wouldn't have a whole lot of followers. But 
Um, so, you know, my, my question, I guess, to you guys is why do you believe the Bible is true? I mean, what, what is there about the Bible that makes you think it's true? You could answer that. Anybody? Is there something? Because everybody tells you it's true. Way in the back. Personal encounters with God. Okay, personal encounters with God. Yeah. Never let me down all my life. Never let me down all my life. Okay. Okay. The answer's prayer. That's for sure. Quite a bit. So that's a good sign. How do you know it was true? Yeah, okay. You trust Moshe? He's a smart guy. I think there are enough events in and of itself that prove themselves to be true even now that, you know, it really is a living, breathing thing. It's not just a. Okay. All the information is so infinite, it could not be made up. Okay. Yeah, it works itself out. Yeah, it works itself out perfectly. It could not be made made up. Okay, well, those are all good answers. Anything? Yeah, help us get there. Okay, all good. I'm the uh, kind of take it apart and see why it works guy. And I've taken everything there is to ever be made short of a nuclear submarine apart to try to figure out how it works and how I can make one at home or make it better. And I was 35. So I was, you know, an adult. <laughs> So, you know, I didn't get the benefit. I, I personally don't think it's a benefit, but I didn't, didn't get the benefit of, yeah, of being raised in a Christian family. And you test everything. Yeah, I test everything. I want to, I want to know that it works because they tell me all this stuff and I'm not the kind of guy to just believe it. So uh, a guy named Jeff, uh, Grant Jeffrey wrote a book years ago, maybe in the 80s or 90s. And I think it was called The Handwriting of God. I used to have, I was looking for it, but I guess I must have blended out or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, he wrote this book called The Handwriting of God, I think. And it was based on some research that a guy named Ivan Panin, a Russian guy, did in the late 1800s, early 1900s, which was based on research that, you know, Bollinger did before that. And, you know, this goes back 3,000, 4,000 years to the rabbis who knew this to be true. And what they knew to be true was what they call today equidistant letter spacing or something. There are codes and messages hidden in the Bible, right? And you hear that all the time. And so this Grant Jeffrey guy wrote a book about, it's, it's, it's unending, really. So he wrote a book about some of it. And um, that was appealing to me because it's, you, you couldn't do it. You wouldn't have, a, a man couldn't do it. Even a computer couldn't do it. And so when Jeffries wrote his, or Jeffrey wrote his book, it was like I say in the 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s or something. Um, we had the advent of computers and he was able to get a program. I don't think he wrote it, but I think he had it or had access to it that would look for these messages and these words and stuff in scripture. And Hebrew is such a bizarre language. Um, that it's pretty easy to do. And so he was finding, and that's what this book is about, all of these phrases and words that all tie into what the chapter or the idea was in scripture, or, you know, it's just bizarre. There was so much of it that you kind of think to yourself, this can't be real. And things like 
and I and I may have some of the numbers wrong because I couldn't find the book. But it, it's it's my recollection that the book of Bereshit, Genesis, the first book, every 49 letters spells out the word Torah. And then you go to uh, Shemot, and every 49 letters, it spells out the word Torah. And then you go to Leviticus, and nothing. And then you go to uh, Bidmar, and it spells out the Torah backwards. And you, you go to Devrim, and it spells out Torah backwards. And so you go back to Leviticus, where you didn't get anything, and you find that every seven letters, it spells Yahweh. So the Torah is pointing towards Yahweh in the entire, you know. And I mean, there's a million things like that. There's all these codes and messages and and it's just too much. It's there, it's so intense and so constant. It's it's like in the book of Esther. There's, you know, the Bible is basically written in the same sort of script. The the, the enlarged bet starts the book, and there's the occasional smaller letter to draw your attention to something. And then you get to the book of Hadassah or Esther, and all of a sudden they're talking about hanging Haman, you know, who was plotting to kill all the Jews. And in that very verse, there are four tiny numbers written smaller than anything, or not, they're well, Hebrew, numbers and letters are the same thing. Four tiny letters, and if you read them as numbers, it would read 1947. Well, 1947 was the year that Rudolf Hess or whoever it was, the Nazi, was hung. And if you follow that back five or six years, the Nazis knew more about the Hebrew feasts and festivals than most Hebrews did. And they recognized this Purim, this holiday that falls during uh, the book of Esther, which celebrates the fact that uh, Haman, who was trying to kill all the Jews, it all backfired. You know the story. And, and they built, he built the gallows to hang Mordecai. He wound up dying on the gallows with his 10 sons and all that. Well, as it turns out, Hess and his 11 Nazi buddies um, were all hung on the gallows. Well, one of them committed suicide first. And he, he you know, asked, he, he was allowed to speak his last words as, as he was standing on the gallows. <laughs> And he said, uh, Purim Fest 1947, because he, they had blocked the celebration of Purim the entire time that the, the Nazis were in charge, because they didn't want to talk about, you know, somebody saving the Jews, because they were killing the Jews. And he was equated as Haman, well, him and Haman and his 10 sons were hung. <laughs> this guy and his 10 compadres were hung. And that was his word is there will be Purim again, because just like in the book of Hadassah or Esther, um, we were trying to kill all the Jews and it backfired and now we're all hanging. And, you know, it's just, there's a million things like that in scripture. And to me, as the guy who takes everything apart and wants to know why it works and how it works and make sure it works, because I'm just not going to take your word for it. That's compelling because there is no computer that could could even write a story like this, right? It's so completely, and you read scripture and it just reads, it flows, it's fine. But to, to know that within the letters of scripture are story after story after story after story that you don't even see, but they're all there. And yet it's all written out, you know, and no, nobody could do that. No computer could do that. And that leads to the belief that, that the Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew, was actually created before um, the creation. And it says that in Bereshit 1.1, remember? It says, in the beginning, Elohim bara Aleph Tav. In the beginning, he created the words, the letters. And I think that's literally true. He created them all around all of this that he knew was going to happen. So to me, that's one of the reasons um, that... I think it's, it, it can't be, it's not written by a man. It can't be a fake. It's, it, you know, in addition to, it'll tell you what's going to happen and the prophecies are going to happen. You know, that's it, what Isaiah 46, 9 and 10 and, and Ecclesiastes 3, 15. And his letters and his words are his wisdom. 
Yes, letters and words are his wisdom. And yeah, so anybody who's willing to look learns a bunch. So to that end, um, Proverbs uh, chapter 30, no, Proverbs 30, four through six reads this way in English. So who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you can tell? Every word of Elohim is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add not unto the words, lest he repro reprove you and you be found a liar. And we talked about this you know, several times because it's this verse that what is God's name and what is his son's name? So all of those people who think, you know, there's nothing about Jesus in the Old Testament. Of course, Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament, but it's specific. What is his son's name? So um, this thing, I don't know if I can make sense of this. You have one that looks like this. In Hebrew, the word is written on a scroll. So it's the same with just like this, same width all the way down. But in Hebrew, there's no spaces. There's no punctuation. There's 22 letters across every line of the scroll. And it's just a block of 22 letters, you know. And so this, this verse that I use, four through six, is, uh, is 22 letters wide. And it's seven letters long. So it's whatever that is, 154 Hebrew letters. So if, if you picture this as being the scroll, there would be a, a, a line of Hebrew right above this. Then there'd be a line here. This would be in the exact middle of it. This would be in the middle of the next line. This would be in the middle of that, the middle of that, the middle of that. And then the last line is at the bottom. And uh, I really tried to do this, but I couldn't do it with, with uh, PowerPoint. I've run into this before. Because in Hebrew, of course, everything goes right to left. And PowerPoint doesn't talk that way. It just rejects everything. And I needed this to be just like this. I needed all this in the center, and I couldn't do it in PowerPoint. And I wasn't going to write out all 154 Hebrew letters. But just envision there's a line above it. And then in the exact middle of the second line, there's a, a resh, a vav, and a het. Resh, vav, het. So that's the spirit, right? In the next line, directly in the center, the, the, the actual center letter is a yud, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. Then in the next line, um, it's the line that says his son's name. So these seven letters, I don't even know if this is going to make sense to you. These seven letters spell out the phrase, his son's name, right? That's, as you read the verse, that's the part that said his son's name. So in the middle of that is the shin, this little W-shaped thing. On both sides of it um, is a H, a het, a shin, and a min. Ha-shim which is the name of God, right? The name, Hashem. So if you go down to the next line, you've got another Vav. So these, these yellow ones in the middle, we've got a Yud, a Shin, a Vav. And then we get to the, the, the bottom line and th that in the black says, Add not to his words. And in the middle of that is the ion right there. So you've got yud, shin, vav, ion. Yud, yashua. It's the name of the sun. So in the, in the name of the sun goes this way. Hashim, the name of the father, goes this way. The spirit is directly above it. The name, the name of the son, don't mess with the wording. Right in the middle of the, I mean, that's just what it says. Yes. 
and it's a cross. His name, Yeshua and Hashem make a cross. Okay, so it's stuff like that that freaks me out. There is no way that anybody could have done this. There's no way a computer can do it and still make a story. You read the account and it just flows fine. I mean, you read the verse. There was no problem with the verse. It didn't look, you know, choppy or beat up. And we've talked about different things like this in the past. It's all over scripture. And if, if, if scripture is written that way, thank you. To me, in my mind, there is no way that any of this can be an accident. All of the things he's saying are true because the guy who wrote it is the guy who created everything. And he created all the letters and all the words. He created the language before he created the universe so that he would have a language that would allow him to do this. And to me, that's proof positive. You know, people will say, like all you guys have said, and all those things are true. He answers prayers. And, you know, I mean, the word is true. And he tells us things are going to happen in advance. All of those things are true. He loves us. You know, everything you know about him is true, is true. And then all of this stuff, to me, makes it, there's, you know, I'm kind of, um, jaded, I guess. So I don't necessarily buy into the whole, oh, he loves you thing. You know, great. He loves me. Excellent. What does that do for me? You know, <laughs> nothing really. You have to respond to it. So I want to see the nuts and bolts. And to me, that's all the nuts and bolts of it. So the question then is, this sort of thing happens all the time in scripture. There's a couple of questions is one, I don't understand why pastors don't talk about it. To me personally, this is pretty compelling stuff. And if I had all the proper equipment, I could have done the whole 154 letter things in different colors and you would have seen all the, all the stuff and it would have been maybe more impressive. But if, if, if this stuff is true, and it, it obviously is, you know, there's no, there, there's, you, you, you can look at that. I mean, that's the way it's written on the scroll. And I did, I checked it. I went to uh, several different Hebrew, you know, versions of the Bible. And nowadays they put spaces in between the letters to make it easier for us to read. They didn't do that back then. And, and with Hebrew, one of the things is um, there are five Hebrew letters, five of the 22 Hebrew letters that when they're the last letter in the word, they're written in a different form. They look different. They're pronounced the same. They mean the same. They just look different. So it tells you that's the end of the word, which helps. So when you're reading through Hebrew, and we've done this too before, uh, you read a, a section, there are several different ways you can read it, depending on how you put the letters together. So you need to read it in a sense you, you kind of have to know the story first. You have to know who the creator is and you have to know the account of Adam and Eve. And you have to know sort of his desire to build a house and to bring us. So you have to kind of understand what's going on to help you divide the words up. And then they throw in these five letters that are an N. And there are a couple of things um, little, I guess you could call them punctuation, but you know they, they don't take up a space. There are some things that they throw in there to help you identify the end of the word or how it's divided up or whatever. So it takes, you, you have to pay attention when you're reading Hebrew. When you're reading the English Bible, any, I mean, how many versions are there? 200, 300, I don't know how many there are. And a bunch of them are written to make it easier, right? Oh, in modern English or, you know, well, look, there's no translating Hebrew into another language to begin with. So the first time you've translated into Latin or Greek or whatever, the rabbis tore their clothes because it says it's not going to have any meaning anymore. And to some extent, they're right. You lose a lot of the meaning when you take it out of Hebrew. 
And then you translate it into 500 different kinds of shuck and jive English to make it easier for the, the simple reader to follow. That's bogus. You need to pay attention. You don't, you don't need to be simpler. You need to be more complete. So we have, uh, you know, by virtue of the fact we speak English and not Hebrew, that's a, that's a detriment. Um, William Bradford in the beginning wanted the national language of this country to be Hebrew. And I wish, I wish that it had been, but it's not. So we have to read a translation or we have to study the Hebrew or whatever to find out what they're talking about. But making it simpler and changing the words even more destroys all of that stuff. You can't take it into another language and see the, the messages in the equidistant letter spacing or the messages with the small letters or the things like I just showed you, all that disappears. So when it says, don't change the word, like it says here in Revelation and in a bunch of other places, don't add or subtract. You know, we think don't add or subtract track ideas. And that's certainly true. You know, don't change the meaning of the words, but literally don't change the letters because you're missing all this undercurrent of stuff. But we've done that. So... Um, and this is all getting to a point, Revelation chapter 13, and you know this by heart the last couple of years, starting in 16, um, it says, and he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or on their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of the man, and his number is 603 score and six. Okay, so for the last two years, people have been speculating, pastors have been on and on about, you know, this, this vaccine, this is the mark, right? This is, you know, they, and it's true. I mean, there are many people who couldn't buy or sell. They were locked in their homes. They couldn't do anything. If they weren't vaccinated, you couldn't go to the store. You couldn't go to a play. You couldn't do anything. I mean, it, 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 it in effect, was happening in real life. And pastors were, you know, pointing it out, but saying, oh, no, no, this, this, this probably isn't the mark, you know, so the safe spot is, well, this isn't the mark, but it's leading to the mark, which I do sort of buy into. Um, but the question is, we spend all this time wondering, worrying, taking steps, to make sure we don't take the mark, but you don't even know what the mark is. You know, and I showed you the lady with the zip ties or whatever those are across her face. Barcode. Barcode, that's what it is. She might have zip ties at home, who knows? I don't know. Um, and they're a lot more useful than barcodes, let me tell you that. Um, but we spend all this time worrying about it. And I've heard, I can't tell you how many pastors give messages on it. It is, or it isn't, or it might be, or it could be, or you got to watch it or, you know, take the vaccine or don't take the vaccine or, or whatever. Well, there might be a different idea. <laughs> um, Revelation chapter seven, verse two. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living Elohim. And he cried with a loud voice to four angels to whom I was given, uh, was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our Elohim in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So my question would be, and... Linda sent me this strange man who did, does these like 10 minute. I mean, they're excellent because they're like 10 minutes and he talks super fast and you can tell by the jerkiness, they cut out every second, every half a second of time between his words. So it's just like a constant stream of words and you got to keep, you know, you got to pay attention. It's like Hebrew. I liked it because you have to pay attention, but you only have to pay attention for 10 minutes. So he asked this question, would it be better would your time be better spent trying to figure out how to be sealed for God rather than how to avoid getting the mark of the beast? 
And I thought that was kind of an interesting question. So let's read uh, Revelation 14 in 9 through 12. And the third angel followed them, saying in a loud voice, If a man worship the beast and his image, if any man worship the beast and his image, and receive the mark on his forehead or his hand, that same shall drink the wrath of the wine of the wrath of Elohim, and it's poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascend up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. So here is the patient of patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of Elohim and the faith or testimony of Yeshua. And we've read this, you know, I usually read the one in chapter 12, but it's in chapter 14, chapter 12, I think in chapter one of the book of Revelation, it's the same idea that the remnant or the saved or the one sealed, you could say, are those, are, are these. They are the people who keep the commandments of Elohim so that would be the Torah, the Tanakh, the Old Testament. They know all that stuff and they live that way and have the testimony or the faith in Yeshua. So they have to have both. That's how you're sealed. So if you're considering, you know, how do I avoid getting the mark or is the vaccine going to be the mark or, you know, he had a great point. Let's not worry about the mark. Let's worry about being sealed. Right, that makes because if you're sealed, you're immune from the mark. You, the beast can't take you because you belong to God. So there are two two groups of people. If you just read that, there's the the one group who got the mark of the beast, and they're uh, fire and brimstone and torment forever. The smoke of their burning goes up forever. So that's not a good place. And then the second group are those people who've been sealed by God. Keep the commandments of Elohim and have the faith of Yeshua. Okay. So it's, it's sort of interesting, to me anyway, that the mark of the beast is, a, is the Greek word uh, karagma. And it means an etching, a tattoo, a stamp. It's a mark of servitude. But the seal... For, for God's people um, is the word fragese. And it's a, it's, it sort of means the same thing. It's a stamp, a seal, or a mark. It's a sign of ownership. But it's, it's interesting, you know, it's, that both identify the true owner and master of that individual. But you can be sealed for God or you can be marked for the beast, but you can't be both. And if you're sealed for God, you can never be marked for the beast. If you're marked for the beast, you can never be sealed for God. So moving up a little bit, Revelation 14, chapter, or chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it said, I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him 144,000, who we just read about, having the father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven and the voice of many wa waters and the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung as it were a new song, which would be a great name for business, before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000, which were redeemed from the earth. Now, just hold on to that. And they were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. And they are which follow the Lamb wherever he so goeth. And these were redeemed among men, being the first fruits unto Elohim, unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of Elohim. Okay, so a couple of things. We know that the 144,000 are not us, right? Because <laughs> they're all men, they're all virgins, uh, which right off the bat eliminates us. And then there's 12,000 from each tribe. So when you figure Judah and Benjamin are the house of Yehuda, Judah, <coughs> That leaves 10 tribes, which were the 10 scattered tribes. So there's 120,000 from the 10 scattered tribes, which are in the nations. 
Now, we know it's not anybody in this room, <laughs> but that's okay, because these guys are witnesses. I don't believe, as some people teach, that there are only 144,000 that spend eternity. And it could be. I mean, I, I, I don't know. But <laughs> well, as soon as the Jehovah's in the 50s went over 144,000, they really had a problem. Because who doesn't get to go, right? Plus, most of them are married several times. So, no, that's the Mormons. Um, anyway, so these guys are witnesses, and I'm sticking with that because I'm not one of the 144,000. And if those are the only people that go, we really are wasting our time here. But I don't think that's true. Um, but these people lived a life um, worthy of being sealed, right? So they show us the direction to go if we if we want to be sealed by god and not marked by the beast there are things that we have to do so shemot exodus 13 9 and it should be a, for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and a memorial between thy eyes that yahuwah's torah may be in thy mouth for a strong hand hath yahuwah brought thee out of egypt okay so it shall be for a sign and he goes through the mark on the hand and the mark on the forehead. And that's how he seals his people. So what is the sign he's talking about, right? This is Shemot 13.9. Let's go back up to the top of that to, to verse 3 and read what, he, what the it is he's talking about. And Moshe said unto the people, Remember this day in which you came from Egypt out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, Yahuwah brought you out from this place, and there shall be no leavened bread eaten. This day came you out of the, mount of the month of Aviv, and it shall be when Yahuwah shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hiv Hit Hivites, the Jebusites, which he swore unto your fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service this month. Seven days shall thou eat unleavened bread, and then the seventh day shall be a feast to Yahuwah. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. There shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee at all by thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son that in that day, saying, This is done because of that which Yahuwah did to me, I came forth out of Egypt. So, in the context of what he's saying, this is the sign of God sealing you, well, this is the Passover. We just did this, right? This is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's a sign that God will seal you or can seal you. And when you think about it, most, you know this, most people don't, most people identifying as Christians don't do that. They don't they don't follow the feast. They don't believe in the feast. They don't do the Sabbath. They don't obey a lot of the stuff the Lord would have you obey. Well, if you want to be sealed by God instead of marked by the beast, which ultimately are only two options, one of the ways you do it is by obeying, well, the only way you do it is by obeying his commands. Well, one of the commands is, of course, the feast. And I mean, it's he's saying, fairly directly this is a sign of the forehead and the hand the ceiling that sign is the feast uh, so rav shol or paul adds in first corinthians 5 7 and 8 says purge therefore out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even yeshua is our peace ox sacrifice for us therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity sincerity and truth. So he's talking about the Pesach too. Um, there are, as it turns out, quite a long list of things you can do to make sure you're on the sealed by God list and not the marked by the the beast list uh deverine and you guys know this one because you walk 
past it every time you come in and leave my house and a lot of other homes in the valley. Devarim chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Yisrael, Yahuwah Eloheinu, Yahuwah is one. Thou shalt love Yahuwah Elohina with all thine heart and all thine soul and all thine might. With these words I command thee this day shall be in thy heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And you shall talk of them when you sittest in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and it shall be as frontlets on your uh, between your eyes and you shall write them upon the posts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so you've got the hand and the forehead thing again. You're being sealed again. Well, how is it you're being sealed? You know, here, the word we translated in English is here is the Hebrew word Shema. And we've talked about that a lot. It means to both hear with your ears and it means to obey because the Middle East interpretation, and this is true with uh, Arabs or Jews, to hear something is to obey because words are intrinsically true. And it wasn't until... Um, the father of lies came onto the scene that anybody could ever use words to express a false idea. But previous to that, words were always true. There was no point in having an untrue word. So of course, if you heard it, you would believe it. And that's, you know, basically what they're saying is hear and do these things. And one of those things, well, you know, you, you just read that. When you're sitting in your home, you talk to your children. I mean, all the time you talk about the truth of the Lord. And that's one way that you're sealed against the mark. If you're constantly talking about his truths and the things that he does and the things that he asks and the things that he shares, then there's no time for you to be marked by the beast. So that's why every Jewish home you enter has a mezuzah on it. Um, like my house does. If we go back before that, Devarim chapter 6, verse 1, it says, and this is, you know, what I just read is built on this. It says, now these are the commandments, the statues, and the judgments, which Yahuwah Elohechem commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land, whether you go to possess it. <clears throat> that thou mightest fear Yahuwah Elohechem, and all of those different, it's Elohim, but if it's yours or theirs or his, it has a different ending on it. So it's still the word Elohim, but it's, anyway. To keep the statutes and his commandments, which I command thee and thou and thy son and thy son's son and all the days of their lives, that, the, that your days may be prolonged. Hear, O Israel, and observe and do it that it may be well with thee, that you may increase mightily, that Yahuwah Elohai of thy fathers hath promised thee a land flowing with milk and honey. And then it goes on to hero Israel and do all that stuff. But it's always about the judgments and the statutes and the commands and the instructions of God. It's those things that seal you against the mark of the beast. <clears throat> Um, 21st century American Christians, when we hear fear the Lord, we're always taught that that means to revere or to respect. Or, um, and if you're out in the backyard and there's a bear in the backyard or a mountain lion, are you respecting the mountain lion or are you fearing the mountain lion? <laughs> you know, it, to me, it's another one of those things that the 34,000 different denominations have tried to soften so that people come back. They don't want to hear that the Lord is a big, scary guy that could smite you in a heartbeat, even though that's true. Like Bill Cosby used to say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And that's exactly God's deal. Is He, he is to be feared. And when you start thinking about why don't we respect or why don't we do or why don't we believe the instructions and statutes and judgments and commandments of the lord think about your own life think about whether your children do or do not and think about whether you did or did not respect 
your father or your teacher or your boss or whatever. And it often boils down to, did you fear them? Was there a consequence if you did not? And if there was no consequence, there was no reason for you to obey. You could do whatever you wanted to do and everything would be fine. And that's the way the world is today. We don't want to talk about fear. We don't want to talk about consequences. We don't want to talk about things happening because you didn't do it. It's always going to be somebody else's fault. It's not. It's your fault. If you wind up with the mark instead of the seal, that's not God's fault. He laid it all out for you. All you have to do is do what I ask you to do. And if you don't do it, it's because you didn't fear him. Because if you did fear him, if you honestly feared him like the mountain lion in the backyard, you would do it because it wouldn't be worth it. One important part of that is the fact that most people today feel like God owes them something. Exactly. Most people feel like God owes them something. God doesn't owe them anything. We owe him everything. We owe him everything. And to not actually fear God. Now, it doesn't mean he's not just or he's capricious. He has the authority and the power and the ability to do anything he wants to do. And he chooses to be fair and just. And that's the best deal you're ever going to get. Because wherever you've worked, whoever your parents were, you know, I mean, we've all lived long enough. Even you've lived long enough to know that fairness is not part of the worldly thing. You, can, you can't expect anything but deceit and, you know, misuse and abuse from the world. And if you get a boss who's a good boss and, you know, he works things out, and, you know, that, that's, that's good. Amen and hallelujah, that's, that's, that's not the way it goes for most people. But if you have a fear of God, you will do the things that he asks you to do. Um, Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. Yeshua said unto them, Thou shalt love Yahuwah Elohike. I don't know. I should work on those. With all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then you all know John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. But we don't. I mean, and by we, I don't mean anyone in this room. I realize we're all perfect. Um, but I mean, 90%, 95, 99% of the 34,000 denominations or however many there are claiming to be Christian of some sort of variety or color or stripe, they don't obey these things. They don't do the feasts. I mean, the Seventh-day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses do and for the most part, most people identifying as Christians, they don't obey. So John says, well, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So if you choose not to obey his commandments, doesn't that mean you don't love him? So there's no fear there. Nobody. <laughs> no, you can't be talking about that Old Testament stuff. I mean, that's all fire and brimstone stuff, don't you know? God is love. Well, let me read you something else in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4. And set this up. Um, well, you'll get the setup. There's a, the, the city has fallen into what I suspect is much like our country has fallen into and the Lord needs to do something about it. And he said, and Yahuwah said to him, go, and this is uh, Ezekiel. And Yahuwah said to him, go through the midst of the city, go to the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. He needed to identify the people of God. And he was going to do what? He was going to seal them on the forehead, seal them for God, mark them for the beast. The ones who are marked for the beast do not cry and sigh and worry about the things that are going on in the world. So the 
question, I guess, would be, do we? I mean, are we, and I suspect I know the answer to this, do we cry and sigh and are we upset about the things that are going on in the world? I mean, everything in the world, it seems like is designed to, to go against God. Well, of course it is. Are we worried about that? Even in Ezekiel's day, the entire city of Jerusalem was like that. Nobody cared. They didn't, they weren't worried that there was abortion and harlotry and money theft and lying and all of that stuff. That's just part of the deal. They were probably part of the problem. Like they were part of the problem. So he his job was to go through the city and mark on the foreheads to seal them for God because disaster was coming. And I suspect that we're in exactly the same boat right now. Disaster is coming. And we all know we're at the end of the, you know, the end of the game. I mean, time-wise, we're at the end. You look around, you can see we're at the end. All the signs were at the end. And somebody's going to go through and mark all of God's people. He's going to seal them on their forehead, just like Ezekiel did. Because when, when whatever happens is going to happen, the ones who are sealed will not belong to the people who are marked. And you want to be sealed. So how, you know, how do you how do you get sealed? So what it says is these men sigh and cry. What time is it? Oh. <sighs> okay, I thought, okay, it doesn't matter what I thought. The men's well, it's like this big. Who can see it? We need a clock that I could ignore. He says, <laughs> that's what I said about the Passover all day long when I was down there doing stuff. I said, I got to go home and get a, get our clock by the bed and put it on the windowsill in the back. I knew it. I just didn't do it. So, and you saw what happened. Okay. So Ezekiel says, find the men and mark upon their foreheads that sigh and cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. So if, if, if you want to be signed, uh, sealed for God, do you sigh and cry for the abominations? Okay, look, abomination is the word taoba. It's translated as abomination used 117 times in the Tanakh. So I thought we would do an extensive study on all 117 tonight since it's only eight o'clock. Um, Vaikra Leviticus chapter 11. Uh, you don't have any of this. Uh, identifies eating food out of a garbage truck or eating unclean food uh, as an abomination. So do you eat pork or crab or lobster or, you know, eagle or camel or any of that stuff? Well, yeah, not anymore, but most Christians do, right? They're just shocked that I won't eat a bacon, even though we have better bacon now with pork, but they all do. Well, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out from scripture that that is an abomination unto the Lord. Um, chapter 18 of Iacra identifies homosexual activity as an abomination. You know, nobody seems to think that's an abomination now. It's on every TV show, on every, you know, I mean, there, one of my customers got a pillow on his couch, says, I was gay before it was cool. And it's funny because it is cool now, right? When we were in California, you had to be gay. It was just a deal. I mean, I don't know if they were really gay but you had to pretend like you were gay because those were the only cool people were the gay ones, right? Well, that's an abomination. God says it is an abomination, which means mark, not seal. Um, chapter 20, child sacrifice, abortion, specific sexual activities, including adultery as, as abomination. Um, you know, do you vote to support people who are make vote for people who support abortion and have had countless adulterous affairs and you know uh devrim 27 says worship the false gods transgender cross-dressing it talks about all abominations um, not separating from the peoples and the customs of the world lying lips the way of the wicked cheating customers uh he who turns away from the torah he who turns away from the torah is an abomination to god well, how many Christians do you know that say, oh, there's nothing in that for me? That's, that's old. Yeshua came and got rid of all that. It doesn't matter to me. 
How many pastors do you see teaching out of the Torah on Sundays? Wrong day. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, that's another thing. The Sabbath. Do you obey the Sabbath or do you worship on a pagan day? It's an abomination to God. So, you know, th there's 117 and not all of those are abominations to God. But there's a number of things that he identifies as abomination. It's right there in the word. All you have to do is read it yourself. You can read it and you can look and say, ha, huh, I shouldn't do that. I don't do that. I'm glad I don't do that. I don't want to do that. I know that guy, though. It's easy. Keep a list. Don't, don't do things that are abominable to God. And you'll be what? You'll be sealed by someone like Ezekiel, because when the time comes, if you're crying and sighing for the things that go on in the world, or are you not crying and sighing? I mean, is it okay with you? Do you watch those TV shows? Do you read those books? Do you support those politicians? Do you watch those movies with those actors that are, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It's an abomination. And if you are an abomination to God, it's unlikely somebody's going to come through and seal your forehead. And you only have two choices, the seal or the mark. Proverbs 28, 9, he that turn, turneth away his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer is an abomination. 28, 9, Proverbs, Mishli 28, 9, he that turneth away his ear from hearing the Torah, even his prayer shall be an abomination. How many churches do you know that pretend like they're praying to Jesus or to God and they won't give the Torah the time of day. Well, if this is anything like true, and I think I expressed to you earlier why I believe the word is true, just as it's written, that's an abomination. What's going to happen to those churches and those people? I mean, I, I believe, I, I, I'm hopeful that when we approach the end, well, we are approaching, when we're at the end of the second day of Hosea and all of this stuff is coming down, the third day begins, there's going to be this, this huge, I call it a revival, I guess, where, like Malachi says, the hearts of the children are going to turn to the fathers. These churches that maybe have been abominable in that they've been ignoring the Torah will suddenly see it as what it is, God's word and commandments, instruction, judgment, and embrace it. And I believe that's going to happen uh, everywhere. And then you're going to see a bunch of the Jews turning to the Messiah. Well, honestly, I think we're all super behind the curve too. We're just ahead of them. <laughs> but when we get there, because what are you going to do for all eternity with God? That is going to be really boring with no ocean at all. You're going to be sitting at his feet learning all this stuff. It'll be so amazing. There's a, there's a saying with the rabbis that when the Messiah comes back, not only is he going to interpret the word, he's going to interpret every letter. He's going to interpret the spaces between the letters is what they're saying goes. So for all eternity, we're going to be just amazed at this, this, you know, so we're, I'm sure we're quite behind that curve, but we're way ahead of those guys. So, uh, but again, you know, my, my thought is, is as we learn more, we have the ability to share that. And as things get worse and worse and the world starts going crazy, people are going to know, even, even people identifying as Christians in some of these churches are going to know this isn't right. And if you can explain to them, look, here's how you get sealed. Here's how you get marked. Your choice. You know, which road do you want to get on? Because there's only two. There's no church. House of Israel, house of Judah. You, you take your pick. So I, I, I think it's, you know, it's all valuable. And I think I have to trust that the time is coming because it just, it, 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 it can't be that these few people are the only people who are going to go. I mean, that doesn't seem to me personally, for what that's worth, to, to embody the character of Yahuwah. His character is, you know, like they'll free to tell you, God is love. You know, he wants us all to come. He wants us all to be members of this household. But there's, you know, there's a gate pass. You have to be sealed. You, you have to not be an abomination. 
You have, and if you don't know what's an abomination to him, you know, all these churches with their gay banners and, oh, we're welcoming. And, you know, I just did a job for a rabbi and it says on his, you know, Rabbi Mark Soloway, he, they, them or something. I, I don't even. Yes. Yes. Okay. This is a Jew, right? He's running a synagogue. Doesn't he? This is in the Torah. You'd think he would know this. But there's so many, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I, I can't help but believe the time is coming. It has to get so bad. And that's the way it always worked in the Old Testament. Had to get so bad that all of a sudden people would turn back to God. And I think that time is coming. Okay. Matthew 7, 22. Many will say unto me that day, Adonai, Adonai, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. Then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work inequity. And that word, word as we've talked about before, anomia is translated without Torah. If you don't have the Torah, and you, even if you've done wonderful things, you know, you've fed the poor, and you've rebuilt the buildings, and you've help the sick. I mean, amen and hallelujah, you should do that as a human. But that doesn't endear you to God. Exactly. You don't get to have any, you know, the good works are great and amen for doing them. But that's not the deal. That is not going to get you sealed. Once you're sealed, you will do them. But you're still risking the mark. Okay, Acts 5.32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so it is also the Holy Ghost whom Elohim hath given to them that obey him. I'm not making this up. I didn't write this stuff. Right? That's what, if, if you think you're indwelt by the Spirit and you're being led by the Spirit. And how many people have you heard? Oh, you know, the Spirit leads me. But I don't need to do that. I'm not going to obey that. The Spirit's leading me to do this and that and all these other fabulous things. But I'm not going to obey that. Well, what Spirit's leading you? Because it's not this Spirit. It's not the Spirit of God. Okay. So those unwilling to learn the Torah, those unwilling to celebrate the feast, those unwilling to worship on the Sabbath, those unwilling to, you know, stop their um, deer running around the front yard. Um, you know, you support homosexual and transgender rights because it seems fair and, you know, you're not an evil, wicked, mean person and you want, you know, you want everybody to be comfortable and, you know, all those things are abominations. It says so right in his word. And if you're an abomination to God, you are not sealed, you're marked. So anyway, that's the short version of how you get sealed instead of get marked. I think a lot of the 